The biggest hurdle between me and eating healthy, delicious meals for lunch is decision fatigue. Honestly, by the time lunchtime rolls around, I've already made like a thousand decisions from what my toddler should wear to how much I want to argue with her about how you have to brush your teeth in the morning, you know? <laughs> for sure, for sure. No, I absolutely agree. And like I have taken to doing meal preps or like buying a bunch of ready to eat meals to like heat up quickly. And I recently tried Factor. And let me tell you, Factor is like 12,000 steps above and beyond any ready to meet eat meal I have ever tried before. That's right. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef curated, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And there are more than 60 add ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started and get after your goals. I tried the two-minute meals where I could fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat wherever you are. And they also offer pancakes, smoothies, and more. There's a wide variety of easy options throughout the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Plus, there's no prep and no mess. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup required. Factor is also flexible for your schedule. You can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Factor is the perfect solution when you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. And you don't want to make any more decisions because you're exhausted, like me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Factor is less expensive than takeout and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash justbreakup50 and use code justbreakup50 to get 50% off. That's code justbreakup50 at factormeals.com slash justbreakup50 to get 50% off. Welcome to Just Break Up, the podcast about love, heartbreak, and all the relationship advice you don't want to hear. My name is Sierra DeMolder. And I'm Sam Blackwell. And this week on Head and Heart Work Conversations, we're talking to Casey Tanner. Casey, whose pronouns are they, she, is an ASECT certified sex therapist who combines evidence-based research, queer-affirming care, and pleasure activism to cultivate powerful relationships, specializing in gender and sexual diversity. Casey partners with individuals, relationships, and institutions to expand limited minds, vets, foster courageous behavior, and empower meaningful change around gender and sexuality. She is the creator of Queer Sex Therapy, an Instagram account that provides free sex educational services through an expansive and queer-friendly lens. Thank you so much for being here today, Casey. You're so welcome. It's interesting to have that all read back to me because I'm like, wow, I do do a lot of things. Yes, you do. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Uh, how are you? Yeah. Doing well. We're doing great. Yeah, we're just excited that you're here. You, um, When we asked our listeners for folks who we should interview, um, you were one of the people that we had Aww. multiple requests for. So wow. um, yeah, it's super exciting to have you and just know that like, at least in the the demographics of our listeners, your your um, <laughs> your Instagram account is having Aww. a lot of impact on people. So that's, oh, that's super thank exciting. You. Thanks. Yeah, which um, actually leads us to the first question, which is that um, we're just curious about what brought you into this work and why did you decide that Instagram was going to be the right prof or platform mm. for you to be able to do it? 
Mm-hmm. Well, I, I actually went to school to become a pastor, a youth pastor, and I was raised like oh. super religious, evangelical Christian. And I love uh, this journey I, for you. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> I mean, you can only imagine what happened between then and now. Yeah, um, college. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I, had to come out as queer at a school where you literally had to sign a document saying that you won't act gay. I mean, that's wow. a, you know, a paraphrase, but essentially mm-hmm. that's what it says. Um, and I had to really come to terms with what the environment I was in was doing to my mental health in that context. And I, I shifted gears from pastoral counseling to actual psychology and started to understand like why why religion was creating so much trauma for me and mm. how much trauma it creates for a lot of people in the queer community. So that was sort of my way into thinking wow. about psychology. And then it was through my own personal journey with my therapist that I realized how, how powerful therapy can be um, specifically if a therapist is brave and brave enough to talk about things like sex and queerness, Mm. which, you know, shouldn't have to be brave, but especially 10 years ago was very brave. Mm. Um, And then I just sort of wanted to be her when I grew up. I followed Mm -hmm. that path and one thing led to another. The Instagram piece was a a total accident. I was 28. So this is two years ago. I had never had an Instagram account before. I knew nothing about social media. And I randomly just started talking about sex. And I think I posted a, a post about um, ethical porn sites that mm. went a little bit viral. Mm. And I was like, wow, people are hungry for this. And then COVID hit and we all were hungry and also had nothing to do. So <laughs> it just sort of happened. And it, it was a happy accident that that totally shifted the course of my life, actually. That's wonderful. That's awesome. You're actually the second creator. Uh, I'll, I'll say creator, even though you're so much more than that, but like content creator <laughs> online who had like this COVID inspiration, you know, yeah. that had this time to put their thoughts and expertise and inspiration into content to sh- that's shareable um, and ha- and saw saw the cultural, like the societal response to that. You're right. Mm-hmm. We were we were hungry. We were looking inward. We were looking outward. We were mm-hmm. staying home. You know, it was just like a very interesting time to be online consumers. Um, yeah. So absolutely. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say the there's so much power in distraction. Um, distraction allows us to not look at parts of ourselves that are really hard to look at. And I think what happened mm-hmm. for a lot of us is we had to look at those parts of ourselves. Yeah. And for mm-hmm. some people, it was queerness that they had never totally. come to terms with. For some people, it was, wow, my relationship's not in the place that I thought it was when I had mm-hmm. all this distraction. And so I think that fed that hunger we're talking about. Totally. For sure. Yeah. I, I, I can think of a dozen people off the top of my ha- ha- head, whether they came out during that time, mm-hmm. transi- started their transition during that time, or like started a different kind of transition and left their spouses of years or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. Um, I think you're right. So Sam and I have collected a couple, uh, a handful of questions that are primarily inspired by our letter writers. You know, we see one of the things I love most about the work that we do is that we see people's extreme individuality and our connection like that 
that there are so many common threads in the hundreds and hundreds of letters that we've gotten over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, and while we can have our own unique differences, our own unique specifications in our relationships or whatever, that we see these common refrains. And so we've collected some sex-oriented questions from our listeners um, or the things that Sam and I hear the most. But before we get into them, we're curious, um, what are what are the common threads or refrains that come up in your work mm-hmm. the most? from Mm -hmm. your perspective? Yeah. So I work with what's called a psychodynamic lens, which means I'm often connecting the past or a client's history to what's going on in the present. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, the the theme I'm always working with is attachment style. Yeah. The way we Mm -hmm. show up in relationships. I mean, we all learned the template for our relationships through parent figures, sibling relationships, and some of those like very early childhood experiences. So one of the biggest themes is if we want to understand what's going on for you today, we have to look at ways in which you were hurt or, or things were modeled for you, um, or both. And so one massive theme is what are you bringing into this relationship that actually isn't about the partner or partner sitting in front of you, but is actually mm-hmm. about something that maybe happened 10 or 20 years ago? I think that's the first thing. The second thing is this question, am I enough? I mean, that's mm-hmm. just always, I feel like that's sort of the question underneath questions always is, um, am I queer enough? Um, does my sex life look the way that it should look? Is Mm. our relationship as passionate as other people's Mm. relationships? And I think that question, am I enough is always connected to comparison. And so comparison is another theme that I'm often seeing. Mm -hmm. And then I think there's different themes depending on gender, but specifically for people, um, who, lacked such sex education or saw sex education through an incredibly male-centric, penis-centric lens, a mm-hmm. massive theme is just that these very small pieces of accurate information can change people's sex lives. Mm-hmm. And specifically as it relates to people who maybe have never had an orgasm before, but are just missing one key accurate piece of information to get themselves there. So yeah. that's another big one. That's fascinating. Yeah, that's that's super interesting. And I think we get a lot of letters about that kind of stuff too, especially that piece around enough of um, how am I comparing myself to other people? And I'm always coming up short when it comes to what my understanding of other people's lives are or my ex's new or new girlfriend mm-hmm. is like this, right? Like it's always just like, we're all, always comparing and we're always like never meeting we're the, the expectations. We're always exactly. the losers in the compare. Well, because we're always comparing the reality of our lives to the curated version <laughs> of other people's lives, right? Yes, yeah, totally. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. So one of the big questions that we get from folks who write into us is about um, mismatched libidos um, and sort of this question of I either I really want to have way more sex than my partner does, but I don't want to make them feel bad mm-hmm. or like force them or push them or coerce them into sex. But I'm mm-hmm. also really unhappy or yeah. from the other way, which is to say, like, my partner keeps telling me that they want to have more sex and I just can't get into it. I'm, I mean, they're not feeling it or there's like a block there. Um, and I'm curious, as you work with individuals and couples, what are some of the things that you help folks do when they're in that situation? Mm-hmm. So I think we are taught that you either have a high sex drive or you have a high or a low sex drive, or maybe you have no sex drive if you're somebody that's ace. But the reality is that there's just different kinds of desire 
And the two mm. main kinds of desire are what's called responsive desire and spontaneous desire. So responsive desire, people who lean towards responsive desire, they need a little bit more work to get into a headspace where they want to have sex. And sometimes that work is creating a sensual context, like going on a date and having a really deep emotional conversation. And that mm. is sort of the bridge that leads to arousal. Sometimes it's um, it's contextual in the sense that they're not going to get aroused if, if the lights are turned on, it's the middle of the workday. But if it's evening and there's a mood that's set and the timing is right, then they're way more likely to become aroused. Mm. And then you have folks who lean towards that spontaneous desire. Often those are the folks coming in saying, I have a, I have a really high sex drive. But what actually is going on there is they're able to desire sex for what feels like out of nowhere, mm. for no particular reason. <laughs> They're like mm -hmm. maybe even sometimes frustrated by how often they want sex and it seems <laughs> sure. to be happening at totally the wrong moment. <laughs> That's sure. the other extreme. And oft, it's not at all uncommon that these people partner together, that somebody with responsive desire would partner with someone who has more spontaneous desire. But mm. what ends up happening is you get what's called desire discrepancy. You get this difference in sex drive, which means one person is not having sex nearly as much as they want to. And the other person is maybe having sex more than they want to. And the issue, the place to intervene is not in, you know, the person who wants more sex, just asking for more sex or pushing more sex. We know that's not the answer, but it's actually conversations about ways to bridge the gap between what it feels like to be in our day-to-day -day life and what it needs to feel like in order to be open to arousal for that person mm. who has that more responsive desire. So maybe it's, you know, I can't go straight from 6 p.m. when I get off my last call into a mood where I want to get naked with you. That's way too much of a shift. But if we have a glass of wine, if you ask me about my day, if we spend a little bit of time cuddling where I know sex isn't sort of the end all be all, then actually mm -hmm. I find myself opening up to you in a different way. Some people use scheduling sex. Um, and I, I sort of shift that and say, don't schedule sex. That's a lot of pressure, but schedule intimacy, schedule, mm -hmm. um, schedule a time you can take a shower together where sex is off the table. If it leads there. Okay. But that's not the goal and mm -hmm. removing like penetrative sex as a goal actually can open people with responsive desire up so much more. It just mm. takes time. Yeah. That's, that's fascinating. fascinating. I know. I'd never heard of those terms. <laughs> have you, did you, have you, Sam, have you heard of those terms before? I've never heard those terms before either. So this is great. We're learning something yeah. from, okay. from this conversation. I, both in long-term partnerships talk and I'll talk about our own lives and, and, and letter writers about the ebbs and flows of desire and how, how tricky it can be, but it gives you a whole, I love, I love that so much because I feel like shared language gives us the opportunity to articulate ourselves so much more better, um, or so much better. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that, that even just thinking about desire as something that's not going, it's not only, it's not only is it going to be one, not one size fits all, but that there are different styles of desire and how it shows up and whatnot. Um, mm. That's so helpful. Mm -hmm. 
All right, y'all know that Sam and I record every single episode of Just Break Up virtually. So I literally see this beautiful person on Zoom like multiple times a week. And every time Sam pops up into Zoom, I comment on their outfit. And I swear, like 99% of the time, I'm like, oh my God, that outfit is so cute. Where did you get it? Sam says quince. You too can upgrade your wardrobe with luxury essentials at unbeatable prices. Quince is here to transform the way you shop with a range of high quality items priced within reach. That's right. They have 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters for $50, organic cotton sweaters, washable silk tops, and timeless 14 karat gold jewelry. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middle person and passes that saving on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Y'all have heard me talk about my leather bag that I use as both a laptop bag and a diaper bag. And I love it because (laughs) (laughs) honestly, it looks really cute in every single circumstance that I use it. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash just break up for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E.com slash just break up to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash just break up. All right, head and heart workers, you know I'm all about tackling our money shame and becoming fiscally empowered, regardless of how much money we make or how much debt we have. I think it's such a crucial step in our own self-acceptance and empowerment. That's why I love that today's episode is sponsored by Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. With Rocket Money, you can see all of your subscriptions in one place. And if you see something you don't want, you can just cancel it with a tap. You never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled unwanted subscriptions. And listen, we always talk to you about like conflict styles and open and honest communications, but honestly, save your energy and get Rocket Money to cancel those subscriptions for you. (laughs) Stop wasting money. You don't need to practice that. Yeah. (laughs) We don't need to do head and heart work with like customer service representatives. You know what I mean? Like just like... Use the middle person. (laughs) Just get Rocket Money in there to help you do what you need to do. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. That's rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. Rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. Another question we see a lot in our letters and like also like in my real life <laughs> uh, is just... Is this just a question from you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, in general, I think we see a lot of questions about how to communicate 
um, your sexual desires? Like, what does communication in bed really look like? And how can I do it even Mm -hmm. though I feel so uncomfortable, number one? But more importantly, at least for me, (laughs) um, (laughs) is I remember so many times in the past when I was younger that I would, you know, even in relationships where I felt a lot of love and intimacy, I would struggle to ask for what I wanted in bed because I would be afraid of triggering a sense of inadequacy Mm -hmm. or trigger them to feel like they were less than or whatever. And I think so often, you know, um, we have been conditioned that, uh, in sex, you, you just need to put on, you need to perform, you need Mm -hmm. to be whatever you need to be. Um, and yeah, so how do you how do you how do you move forward confidently in communicating in bed in bed about your desires and needs without being sort of frozen by that fear uh, of making your partner feel inadequate? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we we all not not all of us, but most of us, unless we've done a ton of work in this area have an immense amount of fragility around this topic. And it's so understandable that we do. Because Mm. there's this idea that within this context, we need to be everything for a partner. And it's so interesting that we're worried that they'll think they're inadequate really because they can't read our minds because that's what's Mm. happening. We we don't know what somebody wants unless they ask for it. And so often it's not about anyone being inadequate. It's just simply, well, we've never talked about the fact that you want this before. Mm -hmm. And, And certainly there are ways to ask these questions that help with, um, help protect feelings like saying, Hey, I want to try this because I want to connect with you more deeply, or I want more of you, or I want you in this way that I haven't had Mm -hmm. you before. And the way that you say that matters. And to a certain extent, I think accepting that those feelings are going to arise as a baseline. And yeah, even, you're not going to be able to change that. <laughs> even right? as I was listening to your beautiful, eloquent response in the back of my mind, I was like, the question really should be, how do we change the fragility culture <laughs> exactly. around sexual performance? Right. Not right. how do we change right. the way we ask for what we need? You totally. know what I mean? <laughs> right. And, and I mean, mm-hmm. the, the better question maybe is when your partner's stuff gets activated in this conversation, yes. which it mm-hmm. is likely to get activated. How do you hold mm-hmm. space for that? Right? Because sure. that's the work. Um, and I think it's just making room for like, all right, what did it like, what did it feel like for me to ask you that? I know I noticed that I was nervous to ask yeah. you, this is what I was mm-hmm. worried about. Why are we nervous about this? Well, it's not because of us. And, and I think you can actually team up in that moment and realize like, wow, you've, you've, all, everyone in the relationship has been done a disservice by our culture around this. And so how do we, as an erotic team, like work together to realize we can talk about sex without it having to mean something so core to who we are? Sam and I are really vibing on the term erotic <laughs> team. Erotic team. We both, <laughs> we both just had a moment. <laughs> yeah. That's our new nickname for ourselves. That's for sure. Here, <laughs> and Sam, uh, host of the podcast and also erotic team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. <laughs> Even though, yeah. All right, never mind. Yeah, like, <laughs> no. That's awesome. And I think that, that that spirit of curiosity and communication about ourselves as well as our partner and like that sort of, we talk all the time about like, tackling problems as a team and not viewing each other as the problem. Or adversaries. Um, but that's really hard, I think, when it comes to sex, because like sex is so fraught and so like this idea that you're either good or bad at it. And there's like mm-hmm. no in between and you can right. like never change. It's just right. like 
And right? then so adding then hear, like, like gender oh, I want... stereotypes that I, oh, I sure. thought about gender so much in there and like male mm-hmm. fragility and, you know, things like that. I mean, we're all fragile. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting too, how many times when somebody is, is brave enough to ask these questions to their partner, they find that their partner has similar desires that they're like, oh, I've been wanting that too and not knowing how to ask for it. Or I've been wanting something mm. else. I didn't know it was a thing that I could do to ask for it. Yeah. And you're creating a different culture in your relationship where you can talk about sex and couples that have the best sex lives are those that talk about sex most often. I mean, that's, sure. you know, there's a de- definite correlation there. Wow. That's, that's great. Um, cool. Um, one of the other things that we get asked a lot too is around um, sex after trauma. So frequently mm-hmm. we'll get folks who are letter writers who have gone through something traumatic, um, often like a sexual trauma of some sort, assault or or something like that, and just trying to get back into a place where they feel like they can be intimate with their partner. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously we don't want you to like say like, there's a one size fits all approach to this, but wondering <laughs> right. if there are things that folks, resources that folks can look mm-hmm. into or patterns that they can use, tools that they can adopt for themselves as they think about how to how to get over that hurdle to mm-hmm. being more intimate with the partner who they love and who they want to be close with. Yeah, definitely. Um, a book that comes to mind is Better Sex Through Mindfulness by Lori Brado. Um, it's a book that is specifically geared towards people who identify as women who have experienced sexual trauma um, Mm. and are trying to recover their desire post-trauma. And I always say, like, if the the trauma survivor in the relationship is going to read a resource, the other people in the relationship also need to read the same resource because... Mm -hmm. That you know, it it takes it takes more than just the survivor doing work on this. It takes a really trauma informed partner or partners to um, to be aware of what might come up. Because I think often when I'm working with trauma survivors, they're so worried about getting triggered midway through sex and really mm-hmm. messing up their relationship or making their partner feel a certain way. But if they know that their partner has some education around this and is ready for that moment, if the trigger comes and how to handle it in the moment, then actually sort of lowers the barrier for the survivor to have sex because they know, okay, if, if worst case scenario happens and I do spiral, my partner, you know, is on board with our plan of action for, for care in that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, so that piece is so huge, but I think you got to take it really slow. I mean, sometimes just talking about sex after trauma is an exposure within itself. It's, it's, and anxiety provoking within itself. And so it may be that before you can approach having sex, you're listening to a podcast about sex just to get yourself used to hearing about it in a safe context mm. again. And then, mm. you know, obviously therapy, therapy, therapy for the couple for sure. and for the individual. For sure. Absolutely. Another huge question we get uh, is how do I explore my new budding queerness Um, (laughs) coupled with the anxiety that you kind of touched on earlier, which is, am I queer enough? You know, I think that I'm queer or bisexual, but I'm in a hetero relationship or whatever that is. There's, there's this 
underlying anxiety Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and also this this fear of inadequacy and like at in something that should be sort of empowering and and explorative becomes really terrifying (laughs) you know like i've only been with men or I've only been with women. How do I explore these new mm-hmm. uh, queer relationships? Um, you know, we get simple questions like, how do I t- talk to, to people um, of the mm-hmm. same gender or, or of a different gender, you know, that I've been with? Mm-hmm. Um, and also, how do I initiate sex? You know, any, any advice in that realm? Yeah, totally. I, I feel like I actually spend quite a bit of time in therapy with people who are just trying to get themselves to shift their dating apps over from one <laughs> yeah. gender to a different gender or to all genders. Sure. That yep. moment carries a lot of anxiety for people because, you know, for people who have been um, living and dating as if they're straight, but now realize they're a gay person or a lesbian person, shifting over means suddenly I'm now engaging with people that actually I would be incredibly hurt to be rejected by. And that feels mm. different than being rejected by, you know, for women, a straight guy who, you know, at the end of the day, I wasn't actually that attracted to be- to begin with, right? This is right. much scarier now for, for bi people and, um, pan people that, you know, that's a little bit different, but what we're, what I'll often talk about is, um, a lot of normalizing. We are everyone who, who comes out later in life has this moment. And often on first dates in the queer community, we talk about this moment with each other. Like, when did you know, when did you come out? What was your experience? Mm -hmm. And there is such a built in empathy to the community to receive people that are new to the experience because we've, we've all been there in one way or another, unless you are somebody, um, that, that came out really early in life. So that's one piece of it. I think, you know, queer imposter syndrome is something I talk about a lot. Um, and interestingly enough, people who have been out for a minute experience it and people who have been out for 20 years experience it. There's mm. always, and again, that question, am I enough, right? It doesn't matter how many piercings and tattoos you've gotten and how many people of the same gender or whatever you've dated. Um, There's still, I think, part of us that's going to ask that question. That um, is unfortunately sort of... Um, What's ironic about it is in in having that question, you're actually participating in the queer experience because (laughs) it's such a queer thing to wonder, right? Uh Uh, So there's that piece of things. Um, A great, very concrete in within the queer world, know your astrology. Queers love astrology. (laughs) (laughs) If you don't know what to talk about, you know, talk about that you're a Scorpio. I don't know. Well, maybe don't say you're a Scorpio. Maybe maybe we're both both Geminis. We have the same we have the same birthday. And so we know people love or hate us. (laughs) Or like a lot of our listeners write in and say, like, thanks for giving me a different perspective on Geminis. (laughs) You know, that they're not just like serial killers. I will date a Gemini again after listening to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's pretty much that's it. Right. Yeah. That's literally the point of the podcast is just to like humanize Gemini. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, I feel like I, I sort of half answered the question. But the other thing I'll say is everybody within a particular gender is different. And so every first date you go on, you are encountering someone new for the first time. The person you're sitting across from, even yeah. if they've dated in the queer world for 10 years, 
are they're new to you. And there's mm. a level playing field in that because sex with women, for example, isn't just sex with women. Like, right. It's about mm. learning an individual person's body. Um, and so I think um, we walk in a lot more equipped than we think we are. And also the other person walking in is a lot, often a lot less confident than we're projecting that they are. So, sure. so much of it is projection. That's such yeah, a that's, great point. That's such a good point for sure. Um, and one of the things that also comes tied up with that too, is that when folks are beginning this sort of deeper understanding of themselves and their queerness, and they might be feeling unsure about whether or they are or are not queer. And this fear that they often have of like, I don't want to lead the other person on, or I don't want them to think that I'm experimenting with them and their bodies or that I'm not respecting them in that way. Um, so I'm just curious if you have mm -hmm. any thoughts about how to, how to get over that hurdle as well. Yeah. Well, the word experimenting has been so used against queer people to, mm -hmm. you know, it, it sort of goes along with that a phrase like it's just a phase, right? You'll get over it, um, which is which has been so incredibly harmful. But if we if we sort of take away that layer and we just think about the word experimenting, like what is so bad about that? We are all always moving through the world experimenting. How do we mm -hmm. know what we like and who we like if we're not experimenting? Even if you've been straight for twenty years and you're sitting across from a new man you're experimenting. You don't know if you're going to like this guy, right? True. So why True, is it yeah. suddenly different <laughs> when you're sitting across from someone of the same gender? Now, you may get people in the queer community who who stigmatize that or um, mm -hmm. who are resistant to date somebody that is new to the community. That's very real. Um, and in part, uh, it's it's quite unfair. And, um, and I think there's a lot of biphobia wrapped up in that. But often when that happens, it's not actually about um, thinking that the person who's new to queerness is invalid. It's often that somebody has been through perhaps a very painful journey around coming out and mm. the fear of going through that with another person, right? So it's it's really not about the new person. It's about their own their experience. Wound. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You mentioned uh, asexuality earlier, um, and I feel like that is another um, thing uh, that comes up in our letters for our listeners that Sam and I, we try to speak to, we try to affirm, but because we both don't identify as asexual, I mm -hmm. feel like it can... It can be a blind spot for us. We definitely try to remember the spectrum of sexuality. Um, but if you can you just speak a little bit about what asexual asexuality is and mm -hmm. any advice you have for folks who are maybe thinking that that's something that they could identify with language that they can use resources, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So most people who are asexual are not sexually attracted to anyone, but I think some common misconceptions about that are that that means that they don't have sex or that they can't experience any kind of physical arousal in their bodies. Um, mm. And again, like there's a spectrum within, a within spectrum. people who <laughs> identify as ace, right? Um, but often people who are ace may still choose to engage in sex for all sorts of reasons. Maybe it's a fun activity, even though it doesn't arise from a sexual attraction. Maybe they have a partner who's not asexual and it, and it is meaningful to them to still mm -hmm. engage in sex in that relationship. So I think really important to remove 
the label from the behavior that we associated with it, just like you know, you can identify as a lesbian without ever having slept with a woman before. Right. right. right? right. Um, but, um, you know, important to, you know, also talk about people who are aromantic, um, who may experience sexual attraction, but don't experience romantic attraction. Some people who are asexual are also aromantic. Some people mm-hmm. are, um, some people are both. Um, yeah, that's a little, a little bit of a one-on-one, but I don't identify as asexual either. Great resource for that on Instagram is at Ace and Ace in Grace. Um, they are doing great education around that. Great. Um, so one of the other questions that we get from folks, um, or at least actually we don't actually get this question. I think this is me and Sierra sort of projecting <laughs> our own understanding on our, our listeners. Oh my God. It's literally <laughs> we're Listeners, dear listeners, we are projecting this question onto you for your benefit. <laughs> Whether you like it or not, it's for you. That's your right. Benefit. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're like your, remember, we're, we're your queer mom and dad and we're doing yes, what's absolutely. best for you. <laughs> um, so talking to your therapist about sex, right? <laughs> so, so I've been in therapy for most of my adult life and I struggle with talking to my therapist about sex, even though we can talk about all of the other things that we that have affected me, like my deepest secrets. Um, what? How do you recommend doing that? How do you recommend mm-hmm. talking to your therapist, opening up, finding that vulnerability to be able to talk about mm-hmm. it with somebody who knows you and wants to help support you, mm-hmm. especially if that therapist isn't a designated sex therapist right. and is actually just your mental health practitioner? Yeah, I mean... I guess my my question back to you is, does your therapist regularly ask you about sex? Mm. No, he does not. <laughs> yeah, that would, might be my guess, right? We right. I, As therapists, we are curious about most everything else besides our clients' sex lives, which is so mm. interesting because of how big our sex lives play wow. a role in our lives. Whether you're For having sure. zero <laughs> sex or a ton of sex, it's part of us. Um, so I would say, you know, you're not to blame for this. They're not asking you those questions. It is very hard to walk in as a client and, and control the direction into, uh, an area that the therapist isn't trying to address and isn't assessing for. So, you know, if you are somebody who is looking for a therapist, not currently in therapy, really recommend looking for an ASEC certified sex therapist. Um, we are not, just trained in sex therapy. We're trained in the same things that all other therapists are trained in. Plus we have additional schooling in sex therapy. So we are asking people about sex from the first appointment to the last appointment um, mm. at, as, mm. as an integrated part of, of holistic work. But if you're somebody in therapy for a long time and it's not part of the culture of that relationship to talk about sex, I think that a great place to begin is talking about talking about sex. So Mm. saying, like, I realize we don't talk about this a lot here and seeing where that takes you versus like, I like to talk about masturbation today, which bravo (laughs) if you can do that. But it might be interesting to have that first conversation around like, I realize we don't talk about this. And I think I'm interested in talking about this and seeing what your therapist does with that. There are a lot of therapists that are not... um, you know, they're not up to date on information around sexuality Mm. and there's almost Mm. no training in this in graduate programs. So you Mm. might find that when you ask your therapist that they disappoint you. And that's because our, you know, the therapist education system is really disappointing in this area. doesn't mean that you can't still find really meaningful work with that therapist around it. But what a lot of people do choose to do, um, 
is loop in a sex therapist for a time um, mm. and have an additional space where um, they can do that work. I think that also happens when maybe somebody's been seeing a straight therapist or a monogamous therapist for a really long time. Now mm-hmm. they're exploring a different part of their identity and they really want to work with someone who can mirror them in that way. Um, mm-hmm. I think that if you are bringing in some a specialist for a particular topic, it is okay to sometimes loop in a second person if you feel like your therapist isn't isn't equipped for the conversation. But try sure. it before you decide that. Sure. That's great. Yeah. That's so helpful too, because I think people, so many issues with sex that we collectively culturally have with sex have to do with a sense of shame, a Mm -hmm. sense of secrecy, a sense of inadequacy. um, And those things are hard to articulate in general. Add to that weird purity pressure and Mm -hmm. heteronormativity and the complicated freakish nature of a lot of sex and fantasy and stuff like that. it's helpful just to remember that like our therapists are impacted by the same purity culture. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And maybe we should outsource to a, a specialist or, or whatnot. Um, yeah, that's really helpful. Okay. So we like to ask all of our interviewees um, this question. What is a piece of relationship advice that you used to believe that you no longer ascribe, subscribe to? Sam, ascribe or subscribe? Subscribe. I, I think subscribe. <laughs> ascribing is like ascribing I, a, a quote to someone, I think. So, Spencer, you don't have to edit this out because <laughs> it's a thing in our fucking podcast where I, <laughs> I am literally a published, I'm a published author and I like routinely say words wrong or like make up words. It's kind of a grade though. Uh, you know, sometimes yeah, you and, might find a word that's even better than the real yeah, one. I yeah, love it. the other day... <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember. Um, okay. Anyway, so what is a piece of relationship mm-hmm. advice that you used to believe um, that no longer serves you or you don't believe anymore? Speaking of purity. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Seriously. Yeah. Don't, don't even start me on that one. But <laughs> I think, I think what's coming to mind is uh, this myth that, that you have to be hyper compatible and that any sign of incompatibility is a red flag. Mm. I think that gets people really panicked. And what I tell couples that I work with is every relationship has about 10 issues that are actually unsolvable. They're unsolvable. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so the work isn't to solve them. The work is to work with them and figure out how do we communicate about these together so that we can manage like uh, disconnects and sex drive is one of those things Mm -hmm. that sometimes is a core problem that's unsolvable. And that's okay. An unsolvable problem doesn't mean it's um, a completely incompatible relationship. Right. That's been a helpful framework for me. That is so helpful. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I'm going to use that for sure. <laughs> Tomorrow yeah, we're you're gonna, gonna be like, listen, Peter, yeah. this is unsolvable. <laughs> That's his husband. That's right. All those dishes in the sink, that is an unsolvable problem. Yeah. That's unsolvable. <laughs> listen, Willow. Yeah. It is I this laundry, unsolvable. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> we, I love that advice. Yes. And also Sam and I are li- are petty. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I love well, it. we are Gemini's. That's right. So, so we are petty. Right? It's, it's, this is not surprising. We can't help it. It's unsolvable. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
the other thing that we yeah, want. One of the unsolvable <laughs> things is our astrological signs. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. All right. So one of the things that we do on our podcast is that we do a blind date, which is when we try and send people home with something that they think they're really going to like. So in this episode, we're going to ask you to do the blind date. So our blind date this episode Come is. Come as you are. It's a book by Emily Nagoski. And okay. um, is that is that a sexual it is. sexual come it as is you a are? Sexual yeah. Anyway. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I was I think I was hearing your response to the contextual or the responsive versus spontaneous desire piece. And if mm-hmm. y'all haven't heard it, my my guess is many of the listeners haven't either. This book really breaks that down in a super beautiful way. If you haven't Whoa. read it, gotta read it. Awesome, awesome. Oh, I That's can't great. wait. Well, say you. the author again, Emily Nagowski. Okay, and thanks. if you're like, I don't have the attention span for a book, she has a TED Talk <laughs> that is also very impactful and 20 minutes long. Awesome. How Love dare that. you know me so well? <laughs> yeah. Meeting people where thought. they're at. That's right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, okay. And finally, um, we're definitely going to have you reiterate your Instagram handle, but where can people find you? And how can they best support you mm. in whatever way that works for you? Yeah. So on Instagram, I'm queer sex therapy, really simple. Um, also, you can find me at theexpansivegroup.com. Um, we've got about 10 clinicians there and we can work with folks all over the world. So if you're listening and thinking I could really use support around anything we've talked about, um, just fill out an intake form and, and we'll get you set up. That's awesome. awesome. Well, Casey, thank you so much for being here today. Um, I cannot stress how much I think our listeners uh, should follow you on mm-hmm. Instagram at Queer Sex mm-hmm. Therapy um, because your content is not only really in, um, inclusive, um, it's so informative. Like it, it, it just it's just such great you do such great work to remind us like the full expanse and diversity of human sexuality Mm. and desire. And um, like, I always say like shared language is such a liberating tool. And I feel like you give people a language to talk about this thing (laughs) that we were taught from birth not to talk about. So make sure to check out queer sex therapy on Instagram and Casey, thank you so much for being here with us. Yeah, Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you guys. If you've enjoyed this episode, our dear listeners, make sure to stay tuned for more Head & Heart Work conversations every two weeks here on our primary feed. And if all else fails, just break up.